This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Matt Chernoff from 680 The Fans, Chuck and Chernoff Show here. And I want to say thanks for listening to today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. You can find it on Apple, Spotify, and all your favorite podcast apps. Chase Thomas went to Parkview in North Georgia. He's a local Atlanta kid, and he won't let the Luca versus Trey thing go. He interned with us back in the day, and you'll always remember him. Anyway, definitely go check out ChaseThomasPodcast.com, where you can find all of Chase's previous episodes, all of his articles, and do him a solid. Leave him a rating and review if you're an Apple Podcast listener. Reminder to listen to our show, Chuck and Chernoff, Monday through Friday, 3 to 7 on 680 The Fan, and subscribe to my podcast as well. Welcome to Matlana, wherever you get your podcasts. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, welcome back to a Friday afternoon edition of the Chase Thomas podcast. I'm excited because Jason Longshore is here, and MLS is back. Baseball, who knows? Like, who knows? But uh, I, I can't talk about it anymore. Um, but Jason is here because Jason, the the MLS is back, and that means that Atlanta United is back in our lives soon. Yeah, very soon. Uh, the tournament's going to start down in Orlando on July 8th. We're waiting on the, the final schedule because all of these games are going to be nationally televised. It's a, a huge opportunity for the league, I think, to get some exposure that they, they struggle to get at times in a crowded sports landscape. Major League Baseball's issues, honestly, help MLS in a lot of ways because they're going to get a spotlight that they usually don't get in the middle of July. So how do they help? How, how does MLB's issues help MLS in the short term? I think a lot of people looking at, at soccer coming back have focused on soccer fans. I look at what's happened here in Atlanta. I think Atlanta United has shown that soccer and MLS specifically and MLS clubs at this point can appeal to sports fans who don't have a track record with soccer and, and we've seen it a little bit with numbers with the Bundesliga uh, the Premier League has just come back this week La Liga uh, the Copa Italia and Serie A comes back this weekend you're seeing people check out sports that maybe they don't ordinarily check out because there's live sports right now and it, maybe it's different than what you're used to. I mean, the Korean baseball organization got a lot of people excited and nobody was watching the KBO in the United States before that. So MLS getting these games nationally televised, getting talked about. I've seen it just from from keeping up with what's going on on ESPN. I'm seeing more soccer information on the crawl at the bottom of the screen than I've ever seen before. More mentions about the return to play protocols than we've ever really heard MLS discuss in an off the field standpoint. It's a big opportunity. And now you're going to get on the field and be able to hopefully not just attract new eyeballs, but keep them. So explain the format. Like what what is this looking like? Because some of it looks weird when you look at from afar, like Orlando's group, just it looks a lot bigger than Atlanta. Atlanta seems like they got a good draw with FC Cincinnati in there, but the New York Red Bulls, they can't escape them. 
um, it seems like. But um, what do you make of the draws and how this all came about? Yeah, it is an interesting format. And this has been a process that, that MLS has been going forward on for a while. And as we're all finding out with, with COVID-19, it evolves and what we know about it evolves and the situation evolves seemingly on an hourly basis. So when MLS started talking with Disney and ESPN about what this could look like, you're going back to you know mid-April, late April. And at that time... There was very little hope for games being played in a significant number of home markets. So you were looking at a, a bubble idea that now the NBA is going to follow as well. Um, it's a format that's a little strange. It is going to double in terms of the group stage as regular season games. And, and it honestly puts a little more oomph behind those regular season games. And remember, MLS was only two games in to its season before yeah. it stopped. So you're getting these group stage games. It's going to be like a World Cup format. So each game will will count as a regular season game, but also count for advancing to a knockout phase. And as we see in the MLS playoffs, I, I think the the idea of those single game knockouts, they, they add a little more intensity. I, I think they're the greatest advertisement for the league and the quality of the league that you can find. So now you're going to get that in a summer format. So... One of the big questions with games coming back without fans in the stands has been that intensity because you know you feed off of the crowd. If you're not going to have that, you have to add up the stakes a little bit. And, and I think they have with this tournament format. I'm excited to see how it plays out. And like you said, the groups are interesting. The draw, I think they're all pretty balanced. There's not a an easy group there for anybody. There's a couple different groups of death that teams are going to have a tough way out of. With 26 teams that you... The group of death to me is the one with the two L.A. teams. Yeah. Because the, the two L.A. teams and Portland, Portland is the wild card in that one to me because Giovanni Savarese is very tactical. Like I could see him coming in and being that team that you see at a World Cup from time to time that they could care less if they entertain you. They could care less if you like them. They're going to be very defensive. They're going to try to hit you on the counter and they're going to make your day difficult and they're going to pull an upset somewhere in there. I think they're going to get through, and I don't know with LAFC, with potentially Carlos Vela missing the tournament because his wife is expecting a child during this time frame, it's going to be difficult for them. It's going to be difficult for the LA Galaxy, who are incorporating a bunch of new faces. I think Portland, with their continuity, it's going to knock somebody out that you're expecting to go through. Hmm. So outside of the two LA teams, who do you have your eye on? Of like A good team that you, that you know is good that is just like in real jeopardy of not going as far as they might have in a normal regular season long-term playoff format? I think you have to include Atlanta in that conversation because you're looking at a situation where you're going to play in a short tournament and you don't have Joseph Martinez. You know, you don't have the best goal scorer in the league. So that will affect you. The, the good thing for Frank DeBoer is that he has about five weeks of training to prepare for that. If you were in the normal regular season format, he would have been figuring it out on the fly as he had to in a couple of games after Joseph Martinez's injury. Mm -hmm. Now he gets time to prepare. And, you know, is it going to be Pitti Martinez moving up top? Is it going to be Adam John? Is it going to be J.J. Williams? There's a lot of possibilities. What do you think but he does? How, I, I don't know. I, I, I kind of lean towards Pitti Martinez because I think you can get another impactful player on the field that way. I think Adam John and J.J. Williams are a little more typical in terms of a number nine a forward a goal scorer bigger guys you're going to be playing a little more physically with them i think this team is 
really at its best when the interplay and the chemistry is strong. And if you get Pitti, if you get Barco, and if you get Mateos Josetu as your attacking three, that could be dangerous. That could be really difficult for teams to deal with because of how fluid it would be. But Atlanta's going to have to hit the ground running because Columbus is a very good team in this group. I think they're one of the most improved teams from last season. And we know how difficult the Red Bulls can be with their press. It's a very disruptive style of play. It's going to cause problems. Who are you more concerned about? The Red Bulls or the crew knocking out Atlanta in this stage? Honestly, the crew, because I think the crew are the better team. I think the crew, with what they did from last season where they had a bunch of injuries, it was Caleb Porter's first year, to getting... Uh, Milton Valenzuela, one of the best left backs back from injury, uh, paired up with Harrison Offal. They have two of the best outside backs in the league. You get Darlington Nagby, which improves your midfield. You add Lucas Zellerion from Tigres in Mexico. And, and this is a team that can you know, stack up with anybody in the league. I think the Red Bulls, if you get them early in the tournament, it's going to be more difficult than later because I think the conditions are going to be difficult. I think a lot of games in a short period of time for a team that wants to rely on its press and play very high tempo kind of style that could struggle later on in the tournament as they wear down a bit. Okay. Okay. Is there one player you have your eye on in this tournament where you're like, this could be his coming out party? The one I, I look at is somebody we didn't see a whole lot of early on because he came in uh, right at the beginning of the season. And it's Jurgen Lacadio from FC Cincinnati. He, okay. He's on loan from Brighton in the Premier League. They just announced that his loan will be extended. So he'll be with Cincinnati for another full calendar year. Really dangerous player who has scored goals everywhere he's been. And he just was starting to factor into Cincinnati before the break. You know, he started the game here in Atlanta, came on as a sub and was very impactful at Red Bull Arena. Now you've got time for him to get with a new manager in Yop Stom. He's a one that I don't think people are talking about that could really have a big tournament. Okay, I like it. I don't like it that he's also in uh, Atlanta's division, but uh, Mm -hmm. yeah, that's um, not great. Um, And you know, Atlanta fans are very rational and normal and if they get knocked out in uh, the group stage then things will be fine of course absolutely <laughs> <laughs> um so what is the latest on joseph martinez what do, what do we know uh we know he's he's doing all his rehab um it's still too early to have any kind of a real timetable here but cut his hair he he cut his hair what's well that's a weekly occurrence for for joseph it's probably going to be a couple different colors before the tournament starts too <laughs> uh joseph is really good at this i, I love it i love his style but Joseph is a guy you know is going to work really hard to get back. And the longer the season gets pushed into the calendar, if you're playing games in December, the greater the chances are you might have a Joseph Martinez factoring in. You just can't count on it. You know, ACLs, you don't want to do any future damage and you don't want to rush him back for this season if it could potentially affect down the road. You've got a long-term investment with, with Joseph. He's he, he's the guy uh, in this league, in this team, and, and you don't want to do anything to wreck that. If that means you have to sacrifice this season, his availability, you're going to do it because you have to make sure that he is fully 100% and can't further create any injury to that knee. Do you, in your estimation, do you think Atlanta United has figured out how to be great without Miguel Almiron long-term? Yeah, I think so. I, I think it took a little bit of time last season because Pitti Martinez is a very different player. Um, both 
outstanding players, but they're very different. And Frank DeBoer looks at the game in in a slightly different way, not as different as as some would lead you to believe, but a slightly different way than Tata Martino. So, you know, last season it took some time. But I think if you look at the way this team played in the second half of the year, and for me, specifically the week where they beat New York City at Mercedes-Benz Stadium, they beat Club America in the Campiones Cup with a rotated squad, and then went to Portland and beat Portland in a way in their building that you rarely see. That was as good as Atlanta United's ever played. I mean, you can compare it to the 2017 and 18 teams and the quality of play stacks right up there. I think it's just different. Miguel is a a very unique kind of player because of his speed and quickness and his ability to affect both sides of the ball. He's not just an attacking player. He can help you defensively as well. You don't find players like that. And Tata Martino built a team to get every good quality out of Miguel Almiron that you possibly could. Pitti Martinez is a special player, but a very different kind of special player. So that adjustment period was kind of inevitable. You referred to him as a special player. Do you think, when you have to look forecast the next two to three years in Atlanta, who do you think is more likely to be the the, the star that everybody knows about, Barco or Pitti? It's tough because both, you don't know how long they're going to be here. Yeah. Uh, Barco, at his age, um, the conversations were already getting started in Europe about yeah. bringing him in. He had a big U-20 World Cup last year as well as strong performances in the league. But now everything's different. I mean, the, the, the coronavirus effect on the game worldwide, it's way too early to tell. I don't know if we're going to know, honestly, until we're three, four years down the road, what the long-term effect is going to be because the transfer market's going to be very different. The amount of money available is going to be very different. And before the season, I think you were looking at how many transfer windows was it going to take, one or two for Ezekiel Barco to go to Europe. Now that could change. It's just too early to call it. And Pitti Martinez as well. He was a player that European clubs were looking at. And that's you know where he would love to get to in his career. It's what every player aspires to. But he's a little bit older. And he's in a different conversation with a move to Europe. That's what makes it hard to tell. Honestly, I think when you look at, at a player like George Bellow, at a player like Miles Robinson... Both of them are going to attract attention as well from European clubs, big clubs. But those are guys who Bellow, maybe at his age and the fact that, you know, he missed a year because of the the injury. He's a player who might have more of a long term effect than a Barco or Pitti just because he might be here longer. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, Who do you who do you see you replacing Gressel long term? Because I'm I'm not going to lie. My family was still very upset about what happened with uh, with Gressel. A lot of Atlanta United fans still don't really understand that. So I guess it's a two-parter. Like, one, did you agree with the trade in the moment? And two, do they have a post-Gressel solution? Well, I think they brought in Brooks Lennon as part of that solution. I mean, Brooks Lennon was a player who spent time at, at Liverpool's junior team right below the first team. And he wasn't able to break through completely. Came back to Real Salt Lake. He's a U.S. national team player. He's a very talented player. He's he's different than Gressel. He's a little bit more of a 
traditional outside back where Gressel's more of a true wing back in a, in a five-man setup that frees Gressel up to go forward more and not have as much defensive responsibility. You can put a little more defensive responsibility on Lennon, gives you a little more versatility in the way you set up tactically. I think they went out and got him because they didn't know what was going to happen with Gressel long-term. It, it's another example for me of the front office looking big picture and trying to always be prepared and not be caught by surprise. The, the Gressel conversation with a contract, um, we've seen it in every sport. I mean, you can look at any player who was drafted and outperforms their rookie deal. It's not always easy to fit them under a cap once they are looking for that next deal. And you have to make the decision on can you pay what the player is looking for or can you get maximum value in trading them and moving them on? And I think that was the balance that Atlanta United had to strike. You know, you go back to and look at how this team was built. You hit on Julian Gressel in the draft uh, in a big way. You hit on Miles Robinson in the draft in a big way. You got uh, Miguel Almarone for a good transfer price because of what you sold him for two years later. You got Joseph Martinez for an absolute steal. You brought in Leandro Gonzalez Perez, who was not a regular starter in the Argentine league, and, and you saw something in him. Uh, in 2018, you went out and got Eric Rometty, which was a player at a smaller club in Argentina, you've just found ways to identify talent and get them at good prices. But it's hard to keep everybody in a cap league. You can't pay everybody what you'd like to because you run out of room. And I think Julian Gressel was kind of squeezed in that scenario. And you had to prioritize the team over one contract. And it was a difficult decision. Because we know what he's meant to this club. We know what he's meant to the success that Atlanta United's had. But the the return you got for him allowed you to, in my opinion, make the team better in 2020 versus 2019. And that's pre-Joseph Martinez injury, which you can't predict. But I think the roster as a whole going into 2020 is in a better place than it was the year before. If you had to guess who is still on this roster three years from now, Barco, Pity, and Joseph. What would you say most likely here to least likely of the three? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, most likely here, I think, is Joseph. And Pity's in the middle, and least likely would be Barco. Uh, at Barco's age, you see players at that age go to Europe, and European clubs will pay a premium because of the potential. Mm -hmm. Because I don't think we've seen the best of Ezekiel Barco yet. And he's got a long career ahead of him. Pitti's a little bit older. I think we have seen Pitti Martinez play his best at River Plate. We haven't seen it consistently in Atlanta, and that's something we want to see this season. I think he got off to a great start this year. I hate that the break happened for him when it did. Joseph is a guy who I think is unique. He's been to Europe. He didn't enjoy his stay everywhere in Europe. He had success in Switzerland, uh, struggled at Torino. I don't think there's an itch for him to go back. I think he's a player who honestly in some ways reminds me of Landon Donovan in that mm. he plays his best when he's comfortable and when he's happy in his environment. And he's happy here. He loves Atlanta. I think he's not in any rush to go. It would take a a very special kind of offer for him to be tempted to go. Yeah, and I think that's good too just because he's just like kind of the staple. They needed somebody with Almiron leaving and certain guys coming in and out that um, for MLS to continue to grow and stick. You need some guys to just stay in these cities um, like Delano and Donovan yeah. for a long period of time. You need Joseph to stay. Yeah, absolutely. I think Atlanta sports needs a, a player like that. I mean, when his career is done here in Atlanta, Joseph Martinez 
could be in that conversation with Dale Murphy, Chipper Jones, uh, you know, Julio Jones, Matt Ryan, um, Dominique Wilkins mm. in terms of greatest athletes we've seen in Atlanta sports. When Joseph's career is done here, I think he'll be in that conversation because I think he'll be here for quite a while. The best formation for Atlanta United is what? We've seen the 3-4-3 three, three this year, and I really like it with the group that they have. It's it's a little bit more of a 3-4-2-1 than what we saw the 3-4-3 three, three look like at the beginning of last season. I think it's really fluid, and it can work with Joseph or without because of how fluid it can be up top. Um, it's bold because you're, you're playing two attacking central midfielders behind a forward. Most teams only play one. Most teams are going to prioritize getting an extra defensive player in there. With the talent going forward that this team has, I think it's a good system and a, a bold one from Frank DeBoer. But I think when you look at systems, he's also shown a lot of flexibility in changing it mid-match and, and in you know game-to-game. Game. Go back to the playoffs last year where Started in a 3-5-2, you saw them move to a line of four at times, and then against Philadelphia, it was a different shape because that's what that match called for. This team's got a ton of versatility, so I don't think they'll be locked into one shape over another. Is Frank DeBoer officially safe? Have fans moved on from the fire Frank DeBoer stuff? Are we are we done with all of that? They should be. Um I thought that was really unfair anyway. And the only reason it even came up was because of what happened at Crystal Palace. And I felt like I said it a, a lot at the time. Crystal Palace is not the club you're trying to aspire to be. You know, Atlanta United wants to be a, a better club than that that plays uh, a more bold way uh, of approaching the game. And Frank DeBoer ultimately at Crystal Palace, they brought him in to make bold changes to play this kind of way. And then they got scared. Because that change doesn't happen overnight. And if you look at second half of the season last year versus first half, you saw a, a remarkable improvement. You saw two trophies come. You saw a good start to this season. There shouldn't be any questions about Frank DeBoer's quality at this point, in my opinion. Mm. Well, it's good because that was a very trying time. And that was a, I, I don't miss that part. And I also think it was Tata just being beloved, where it was just like... That's a good point, too. I think it was just replacing him as, uh, was always going to be difficult. Like, it was not going to be a, a, a great situation for him. Like, he had to prove it because people yeah. were still just really upset that he left. Yeah, it was going to be hard no matter who came in. And and it was a bold move from Darren Eels and Carlos Bocanegra to, to bring in a manager who had had a couple of missteps. But you also can't forget what he did at Ajax before. He's the only manager at Ajax to win four straight league titles ever. And I mean, you're talking Johan Cruyff. You're talking some of the legends of the game. He's the only one who did that. And then, honestly, if you go back and look, and this was something I thought was interesting when you started to draw the parallels between the two. Tata Martino came in with a question about being able to win the big game. He had lost two Copa America finals in back-to-back -back years to Chile with Argentina. He didn't win a trophy at Barcelona, and a lot of people criticized him for that with the talent he had. They did not win a trophy that year. And you were going back to his time at, at Newell's Old Boys for his trophy winning um, Tata Martino had questions coming in. He answered every single one of them. And Frank DeBoer had questions coming in, and he had questions early on, as Tata did early on in 2017. It was new, so those questions weren't as loud, but they were there. And 
Frank DeBoer, in my opinion, answered him. He won two trophies last year. He won a Campione's Cup that an MLS team had never done. He won an Open Cup um, and got to the Final Four of the league. You know, got to an Eastern Conference Final. And without two world-class goals, you could have easily seen a return MLS Cup at Mercedes-Benz Stadium again. Last thing, and we'll wrap up here. Who wins? Who wins the tournament? Who do you like? Oh, this is tough without seeing the the calendar because I think the the order of the matches will have a bit of an impact. It, we hmm. we see this at World Cups a lot of times, but I think in the East, uh, I really like Atlanta's chances. I do like Columbus's chances. Um, there's other questions even about the top teams. I mean, Toronto. You know, wh- where's Michael Bradley's fitness going to be? Uh, Pablo Piatti, is he going to end up being that influential player that that they're looking to to take the next step? New York City has a new manager. Uh, they were a little up and down in the first couple of games and in CONCACAF. Out West, I really look at Sporting Kansas City as one of the best teams in the league. LAFC, we have to find out about Carlos Vela. So I can't go winner yet, but I'll give you a final four. I'll give you two from each conference. Uh, I think it's Atlanta and Columbus in the East. And I think it's sporting Kansas city. And even without Vela, I think LAFC can find a way there. So sporting and LAFC and Atlanta and Columbus will be your final four. But who wins in the final four? You gotta, <sighs> if that's how it, ends right. up, if that's the final four, who, who wins? Uh, I would go sporting Kansas city. Mm. I, I think, I think sporting is a team with Alan Polito and all the talent they have. And a guy like Peter Vermes in, a tournament format. I think he gets the most out of his team. Atlanta's going to have some adjustment without Joseph. Columbus uh, is not the deepest team in a lot of parts of the field, and that could hurt them. And LAFC, we just don't know about Vela yet. If Vela's there, they're the favorite. But if he's not there, I'll go sporting. Interesting. Interesting. All right, Jason, this has been great. I appreciate the time. Is there anything we should check out from you this week? Yeah, um, check me out on Soccer Down Here. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Soccer Down Here, our, our daily podcast every morning starting at 9 a.m. Uh, you can also watch on twitch.tv slash soccer down here. Uh, our coverage on 92.9 The Game will be ramping up uh, very quickly. We will be covering all of the Atlanta United games from Orlando. Uh, we won't be on site. We'll be calling them here from the studio in Atlanta. But we'll have coverage, our traditional coverage, uh, 30 minutes of pregame, an hour of postgame, and a lot of cool things we're, we're trying to add to that in association with Atlanta United. Uh, it'll be on their social media networks. So once we have a schedule, uh, you'll have some dates you can lock in and listen to us on 92.9 The Game. All right. Go do that. Keep up the great work, sir. And uh, let's hope for the best this summer. Let's, uh, let's hope that uh, the post-Joseph world is fruitful for as limited as it may be. I can't wait to see what it looks like. It's going to be fun to follow. It's going to be fun to talk about. This is Ben Ingram, radio voice of the Atlanta Braves, and I'm here to tell you that you've reached the end of today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. As a friend of the podcast, I'd like to say thank you for listening to today's episode and hope you return for the next one. To show your support for the program, tell a friend or coworker or even a family member about the program. And if you're an Apple Podcast listener, leave the show a rating and a review. It goes a long way. That'll do it for me. But don't forget to listen to myself and the rest of the team at 680 The Fan and the Braves Radio Network this season. Go Braves! Nicely done, nephew.
Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.